Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find the ALPO on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And the Observer's Notebook also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And we just now started an ALPO YouTube page. So that's something you might want to head over to YouTube, look it up, and subscribe to that so you get the latest videos that we start putting out. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of The Observer Notebook. And now, episode 99 with Bob Lensford, and we're going to talk meteors. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have us today, Bob Lunsford of the ALPO Meteor Section. Welcome back, Bob. Thank you very much. We've been in kind of a drought here recently for meteors. Yeah. But uh, that is over now that we're <laughs> in July, so we're looking forward to a lot of meteor showers. Yeah, today we're going to talk about two meteor showers, I believe. Two, and, a, and there's a bunch of little ones going on at the same time, too. Okay. The uh, the main one we want to talk about is the Southern Delta Aquarius. Now, I don't think we've ever chatted about that one before. That's a good possibility. Um, and the main reason we only, we do talk about it is because the uh, Perseids peak two weeks later. So whenever the Perseids have lunar interference, it's guaranteed that the uh, Southern Delta Aquarius don't. Ah. And vice versa, and vice versa. So, this is a situation where both of them are a little bit dinged by the moon. Uh, the Perseids more so. So it would be a good good time to concentrate on the Southern Delta Aquarians. Um, this shower is active from July 20 through almost the entire month of August. Wow! It is the second strongest shower uh, hourly rate wise as seen from the Southern Hemisphere. 
uh, number one being the eight Aquarius of May. This shower is active a little bit longer, and actually, if you take the entire activity period, it probably produces more meteors than the eight Aquarius. But at, at, the, at that peak time, it doesn't quite uh, get as spectacular as the eight is. The, um, now, you mentioned Southern Hemisphere. Now, can we see it in the Northern Hemisphere? Oh, definitely. Oh, okay. Definitely. All right. Um, the declination is only minus 16 at maximum. That, that's not too bad. Um, for my site here in San Diego, it rises, oh, what's that, minus 16, probably about uh, 40 degrees in the southern sky. Sounds good. So as, as you go further north, it gets a little bit further down. So uh, we can see roughly half of the available activity. Uh, if you happen to be at latitude minus 16, southern hemisphere it would pass directly overhead. And the only difference is there, well, at, at southern 16, they don't really experience winter. That would be a tropical latitude. <laughs> but all our folk friends in Australia, New Zealand, and, uh, you know, Chile and Argentina and uh, South Africa, they're, they're just starting winter. So they need to bundle up if they want to see this uh, shower. <laughs> yeah, this is a shorts and t-shirt uh, time of year yes. for us in Southern California. So it's uh, uh, most definitely, yeah. most definitely. Like I said, this one starts uh, on about July 20th and peaks uh, 10 days later on the 30th. The, uh, the raise, the rise to uh maximum is a lot faster than, than the fall. Uh, it, goes up pretty fast and then it's a slow slow drop in in rates throughout all of august in fact if you're watching percy it's uh in august you will see some uh delta aquarians shooting from the south kind of like a little warfare there one coming <laughs> from the north one going from the south of course the, the Perseids will definitely win that with a lot more activity right and one other thing you would need to know about the watching the shower in august at the uh the rating actually by then has shifted into Pisces. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It moves eastward to one degree to, uh, per day. So, okay. But uh, at maximum activity, it's definitely smack dab in uh, in Aquarius, close to the star Delta Aquarius. Therefore, the name. Okay. Now, uh, what's what are some characteristics of this meteor shower? These meteors are of medium speed. And they actually tend to be fairly faint. So uh, if you're out on the morning of July 30th, I would definitely wait for the moon to set. We have a first quarter moon right around that time. And with daylight savings time, it probably won't set till about uh, 2 a.m. And this radiant culminates uh, on the uh, due south at about 3 a.m. So that's that's fairly nice. So if you want to set up at uh, moonset and aim your vision toward the south about halfway up, you'll get to see some good activity. Now, the, the maximum hourly rate for these guys probably is around 10 to 15. Okay. Now, I have seen... 20 per hour uh, from the, the mountains here in San Diego where, where it's really dark. But uh, for most folks, you know, if, if, if you're in the suburbs or uh, you'll, you'll probably only see 10 to 15. Okay. 
Now, does this meteor shower have a parent object? That's a darn good question. Uh, nothing is known for certain. We have orbits of these meteors, and interestingly enough, it's very similar to the orbit of the asteroid, which is called 2003 EH1, which happens to be the parent of the quadranids. Oh. So what they're thinking is that the quadranids and the southern delta quarries may be related, and they both may have apparent objects from one large comet that we don't really know yet. There was one in 1490 that's the closest that right now. And uh, another interesting fact is the orbit of the strongest daylight shower of the year, the uh, daylight areas, which peak around June 7th, also has a similar orbit. Now, so you say daylight. I mean, how, how do you observe a daylight shower? <laughs> well... <laughs> That's that's a good question. Actually, actually, the the June daylight areas are about thirty degrees um, west of the sun, okay. so you can actually catch a few right before the start of twilight. Okay. Now, now most of these showers, and there's about ten of them. Most hmm. of them are about fifteen degrees from the sun, so that's virtually impossible uh, to see visually. But there are institutions with radar and, uh, and uh, forward scattered radio that can uh, pick up these meteors any time of day, sun, sunshine or not. Does the ionization through the atmosphere, they'll cause radio disturbance. Okay. Definite. That's exactly how they... Uh, okay. how they I've never heard the term daylight meteor shower before. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a, a list of about 10 of them. And most of them happen in the spring. Uh, right during the nighttime doldrums for the for the no, northern hemisphere. Okay. Um, the strongest one is the daylight areas, uh, peak in early June, and uh, there's another one only peaks about four days later called the Zeta Perseids. And uh, in fact, the, the the three strongest ones all in in June, one June seventh, one June eleventh, and the Beta Beta Tarids. Hmm. which peak, uh, oh, I'd say June 28th. And they think that the Tunguska event of late June uh, 1910, I think that was the year, mm -hmm. uh, was the result of a piece of beta tarids. Really? Daylight beta tarids, I should say. Daylight. Now, going <laughs> back to the Southern Delta Aquarius, okay. In a nutshell, you said around July 30th is the peak? Definitely. Is and the it's peak. first quarter moon, so... Get up, you know, two o'clock in the morning or thereafter, and look in look, look toward the south. Look due south and look for medium, uh, medium speed uh, meteors radiating from near the star Delta Aquarius. It's the third magnitude star okay. in the southern part portion of the uh, constellation. So it's it's away from the peace sign and all the other ones up north, and it's fairly close to the border of Capricornus. So okay. if you know if you know the the constellation of Capricornus, it's just to the left or east of it, and uh, these meteors will be can can be seen in any part of the sky. But if you trace the path back, they will all lead to near that uh, star Delta Aquarii. Okay, I'm gonna have to go out and take a look at this one. Okay, now when you're watching Delta 
the, the southern dactylcarids, you will notice some other meteors. And a good chance some of those might be what we called alpha capricornids. These meteors are slow and quite often bright. Mm. If you're familiar with the constellation of Capricornus, mm -hmm. the radiant is near Alpha Capricorni, which is a naked eye double star, which is in the northwestern part of the constellation. So these meteors normally are only about uh, five an hour at the most. Uh, we'll be coming from a, a radiant a little bit west. You'll also see some Perseids, which start July 20th. So if you're facing south, the Perseids will be coming from behind you into your field of view. Okay. And at this time of year, the sporadic rate also picks up quite a bit. And there's... If you I don't if you ever visit the Alpo website and look at the shower list for this time of year, there's a lot of showers yes, producing are. producing one and twos per hour too. So there's all kinds of activity to be to be seen, and if your sky is clear, you should definitely take advantage of it. Okay. So talk to us about the Perseids coming up in August. Okay. We have a full moon on August 8th, mm. so that puts a squash on watching the southern delta Korean rates lower and the Perseids rise. But uh, as we approach the maximum, which will occur on August 12th, the moon wanes down to a last quarter phase. Okay. Now, they say the last quarter phase is only what, 10% as bright as a full moon. Well, I've been out viewing Perseids during the last quarter moon, and it sure seems to affect this shower a lot more than, than uh, you know, as advertised. Yeah, I think a last quarter moon could cast a shadow, too. So that's... Oh, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. Most definitely. So if there's any possibility, uh, find a tree or something to block mm. that. That's <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the moon and the Perseid radiant will rise on the night of maximum activity, which is August 11th slash 12th, about the same time, okay. which is which is about one o'clock in the morning. So uh, you can see some of the Perseids in in the evening sky, but the, the radiant is very low. So. Um, yeah, the rate will only be one or two an hour during those hours, but the ones you see will be earth grazers due to low altitude. At that time, the only way Perseids can uh, intersect the atmosphere is just to skim the upper portion. So due to that fact, they last a long time and create long paths. So uh, if you'd rather watch while the uh, sky is perfectly dark, you might give it a try, but don't expect to see too much. And these are brighter meteors too, right? You know, the Earth grazers are, aren't any brighter than the other ones. Oh, okay. So, so they're, they're, they're tough to find, and a lot of them tend to hug the horizon, uh, either in the south or the west. Very rarely will they shoot straight overhead uh, from the north. Of course, if you do see one like that, it's really spectacular. But I've found out that most of the Earth craters I've seen have been about second magnitude. Uh, definitely not fireball class, but but okay. most but very interesting if it's if the sky's dark enough. Okay. And this this meteor shower is related to Comet Swift Tuttle, right? 
That is correct. Okay. Which last appeared in uh, 1992. Okay. Great. And it isn't expected until, oh gosh, just add 130 years in that. <laughs> <laughs> Neither you and I will be around to see that, but uh, luckily I saw it uh, when it showed up in 92. Yeah. 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 But, but the Perseids uh, are guaranteed a good show. You know, even though the moon's going to mess them up, they do produce fireballs. Yep. So, uh, you know, keep your fingers crossed for those. And it, and it's the strategy for the Perseids would be to face probably the north or the west, uh, depending on the exact uh, air, uh, location of the, of the moon. Uh, you definitely want to keep the moon out of your field of view. So just keep the moon at your back. Okay. Look halfway up in the sky opposite. And Perseid meteors will be coming from the northeastern part of uh, Perseus, right on the border of uh, Perseus and Camelopardalis, the giraffe. Okay. And this, again, is in the early morning. Right. The, the, the radiant is highest right before dawn. Okay. So that's, uh, that's when you'll see the most activity. And uh, unlike the... the, the South Delta Aquarius, the Perseids are fairly swift meteors, which means you'll see a lot of trains, <clears throat> which are actually caused by the meteor passing through the atmosphere, and they leave these, these plasma streaks. It looks like smoke, but it's not, it's not actually smoke. It's the actual meteoroid passing through the upper atmosphere. Hmm. And, and the meteor, if the meteor is bright enough, these will last long enough to twist and turn in the air currents of the upper, upper atmosphere. Wow. So they, they do look pretty cool. Okay. All right. And the best part of observing meteors is you sit there in your, your, your uh, reclining lounge chair outside with, with a cup of hot cocoa, right? <laughs> Well, if, if it's cool enough to allow you to drink cocoa, yeah, go for <laughs> That's it. true. That's true. <laughs> you That's may true. want iced tea this time. <laughs> <of it. laughs> this is true. This is true. Now, you mentioned some other smaller meteor showers. you want to talk about those? Sure. Uh, besides the, uh, the uh, Alpha Capricornids, there is one called the Northern Delta Aquarians, which are very weak. Uh, they lie in the northern part of Aquarius, and they're also active during, during both of the showers so that they, that may be one source uh, another source there's one called the uh, gamma draconids which lies fairly close to the uh, the head of Draco if you're familiar with that uh, that peaks a couple of days before the southern Delta Aquarius and actually morphs into the another shower that we call the Kappa uh, Kappa Cygnus now, the Kappa Cygnids are best seen in the evening sky, so this would be a perfect time to, to scout those out. Unlike uh, the other showers we've talked about, the Kappa Cygnids are really slow. Uh, they hit the Earth at only 15 uh, kilometers a second versus 40 for the Aquarians and 60 for the Perseids. So that's, uh, that's quite a difference. So these meteors are often bright and last several seconds. And during the uh, early part of August and mid-August, the Kappa Cygnus, the, the gradient is almost overhead for folks in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay. So conditions couldn't be any better for those. Okay. Well, mark your calendar, folks, and take a look at that one. 
And uh, other than that, like I said, most of them only produce one or two an hour. Okay. So uh, that's much less than the uh, sporadic rate. So, so should, that re- should that really be called a shower? Shouldn't there be a meteor sprinkle or something? There you go. I, yeah, I don't know who coined that <laughs> term shower, but it, it's, you know, very misleading. <laughs> yes. One or two an hour is not a shower, in my opinion. <laughs> no, it's, it, like you said, it's a tinkle there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tinkle. I don't know if we're going to use the word tinkle, but. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Sprinkle, tinkle. <laughs> Maybe a little leak. How's that? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's not much better. Okay. <laughs> yeah, boy, I'm getting off on a real bad tangent here. <laughs> You're funny. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. So, if uh, people observe these meteor showers, uh, uh, how do they? What type of observations do you want people to send to you? Well, we ask folks to try to watch for at least an hour, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is simple: meteors uh, will appear in bunches. Uh, we say that the rate is sixty an hour. Well, believe me, they don't occur at exactly one per minute. Mm-hmm. You'll go five minutes without seeing anything. And then you'll see five meteors within 30 seconds. So they're real bunchy like that. So if you only observe for 15 minutes or a half hour, you might be viewing right in the middle of a, of a lull in the action. So you may go and say, those guys are crazy. You don't know what they're, <laughs> what they're talking about. There's nothing going on. If you watch for a full hour, you will see both a peak and a lull. So... That's what we ask folks to do. Okay. Uh, watch for an hour. Uh, give us a location and try to estimate your sky conditions. And the easiest way to do that is to uh, estimate your limiting magnitude. Now, for most people, they can probably see down to magnitude five. If you happen to be in a rural location, you can probably push that to magnitude six. But what that, what that does is that allows all of the observations to be combined by setting them all to exactly one, one limiting magnitude. Okay. So those folks are watching in, in the fifth magnitude skies. We will increase their activity. Those that are better than six will decrease those. So we have a happy medium. Oh, okay. so, every, every, so everybody will view under the same conditions. All right. So you normalize all the data you get. We normalize all the data. Okay. That also takes into effect any uh, blockages you may have, like hills or trees, and even the occasional cloud uh, sh- should be noted. Okay. And uh, be sure and provide your start and uh, stop time. Great. Uh, we use universal time, mm-hmm. which uh, happens to start at 5 p.m., for the west coast and 8 p.m for the east coast if that's a little too complicated for you go ahead and you know give us your uh, local daylight time and we can figure it out <laughs> that sounds good now where should people send these observations well my email address is on the alpo website mm-hmm. so go ahead we also have uh, forms that you can request and i'll be happy to email the forms that you can fill out and there's also a, a an online form that you can fill out for the uh, International Media Organization. Uh, you can do that free of uh, you know you don't have to join; just uh, sign into their website, and uh, 
just look under visual observing. Great. And I'll put links and to that in the show notes too. So people can easily go there and just click on them and send you an email or, right. or fill out the observing forms too for the meter shower. Right. That reminds me, I have an article that will appear on the Alpo website for the uh, South Delta Aquarius in just a few days. And one for the Perseids just as soon as the uh, Delta Aquarius are over. So Okay. Well, I'll add those links to the, uh, to the show notes as well when they come up. Outstanding. Yeah. I, I think folks should take uh, advantage of the nice warm weather and uh, get okay. out. And, uh, even if you don't see a lot of meteors, you'll see a lot of uh, satellites these days with those uh, sky links up there. No, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> don't well, get me started on those. I, yeah, I, I know. I know. It's uh, it's not very fun for uh, photographic astronomy, but no. uh, for, for the general public, it's, it's interesting. They're and, fun to see, uh, yeah. Yeah. This string of lights go across the sky. Yep. <laughs> All right, Bob. Well, this has been fun. And, you got anything uh, else you'd like to add before we close it out? Not right now, but enjoy the summer months, and uh, we'll uh, aim our sights on the uh, Orionid shower come October. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Clear skies, everyone. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank multi-repeat customer <laughs> Bob Lunsford for coming on the podcast and talking about some meteor showers. What a perfect time of year to go outside the early morning to watch meteors streak across the sky. I hope everybody gets out there a chance to take a look at these. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. You can also listen on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it for $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I'll thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moore for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. Until next time, my hope is you'll always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>